invades our lives and meets us in the deepest, darkest of times. He's there in the good times. He's there through the tough times. Amen. He walks with us through the valley of the shadow of death. And so we don't have to fear because he's with us. Amen. How are y'all doing this morning? Doing well? Those online, I want to welcome you. So glad that you tuned in with us to to join uh, this morning. We are in a series in the book of Ecclesiastes. And as I have been preparing and studying this book, I've been encouraged and also challenged. I said that this is probably one of the hardest books that I've uh, committed to preaching through. And so I feel that challenge and I feel that responsibility to study so that I can understand and so that I can encourage you all with it. But it, it over and over... As we go through this book, we're confronted with the the reality of the brokenness of this world that we live in. And so there's there's a lot of honest, raw things that Solomon communicates about this life in this post-Genesis 3 world that perplexes us, challenges us, that we feel pain when we we embrace and when we realize. But, But thankfully, throughout the book, he doesn't just give us a negative perspective. He doesn't just give us a reality check. He, he doesn't just deconstruct how not to live. He also builds up a proper and healthy, wise perspective and how we are to live in this brief life that we have here under the sun. And in chapter 3, this is probably one of the most well-known um, sections of the book of Ecclesiastes. Uh, the birds in the 60s wrote a song to this section uh, called Turn, Turn, Turn. To, to every time, to, to, um, to every, for everything there is a season and a time for every matter under heaven. And they just added a couple lyrics to it, Turn, Turn, Turn. And they, they made a lot of money off of this song. And, you know, interesting note that they have, they have um, one of the writers uh, has, has sent money over to Israel uh, and and uh, sent some of the royalties over to Israel since it came from the Bible. Um, so if you have your Bibles, go ahead and turn there to Ecclesiastes chapter 3. Two weeks ago, I asked you a question. In the beginning of the sermon, I asked, does your life matter? And I, and I, I had a follow-up question with that. If, if your life does matter, what would you point to in this life to say, this is why my life matters? Last week I asked you the question, are you satisfied in life? And if not, what do you think it is that you have or where will you be that will make you happy and satisfied in life? Okay? And this week I want to ask you the question, what season of life are you in? And how are you adapting to that season? The first question has to do with your significance in life. Does your life really matter? The second question has to do with your satisfaction in life. Are you experiencing the life that God wants you to experience here under the sun in relationship with Him? And the next question that I'm asking you today has to do with where you're at in the season of life. Because life has various seasons that we walk through. And the book of, Ecclesi- a book of Ecclesiastes gives us a wisdom perspective of how to see our lives... Okay, to have a, a, a sobering reality check that we need about our lives 
and to live well with the end in mind as we consider the brevity of our life and what the end looks like for every person. So if you have your Bibles, go ahead and turn there to Ecclesiastes 3. We're going to start in verse 1. For everything there is a season and a time for every matter under heaven. A time to be born and a time to die. A time to plant and a time to pluck up what is planted. A time to kill and a time to heal. A time to break down and a time to build up. A time to weep and a time to laugh. A time to mourn and a time to dance. A time to cast away stones and a time to gather stones together. A time to embrace and a time to refrain from embracing. A time to seek and a time to lose. A time to keep and a time to cast away. A time to tear and a time to sow. A time to keep silent and a time to speak. A time to love and a time to hate. A time for war and a time for peace. What gain has the worker from his toil? I have seen the business that God has given to the children of men to be busy with. He has made everything beautiful in its time. Also, he has put eternity in man's heart, yet so that he cannot find out what God has done from beginning to end. I perceive that there is nothing better for them to be joyful and do good as long as they live. Also, that everyone should eat and drink and take pleasure in all his toil, for this is God's gift to man. I perceive that whatever God does endures forever. Nothing can be added to it, nor anything taken away from it. God has done it, so that people fear before him. That which is already has been, and that which is to be already has been. And God seeks what has been driven away. And all God's people said, Amen. Father, as we behold wisdom in your word today, give us hearts to embrace, to hunger for, and apply wisdom to our lives. Teach us to number our days. Teach us to recognize the season and the time that we're in. And give us the wisdom to respond appropriately to where you have us in this life. Open our eyes to see wonderful things in your word. In Christ's name we pray. Amen. Alright, so here's our big idea this morning. Life involves various Changes of seasons and times in which our unchanging God is sovereign over. And we must learn to respond appropriately in each of them. Life involves various changes of seasons and times in which our unchanging God is sovereign over. And we must learn to respond appropriately in each of them. So he gives a list of, of 14 different aspects of times and seasons that we go through in this life. Seven couplets, 
seven couplets of times and seasons that a person walks through. Some that are pleasant and some that are painful. Some that are delightful and some that are disquieting and disheartening. He starts with a time to be born and a time to die. We love here at City Church seeing new lives being born and brought into this world. What a beautiful thing it is. We rejoice over every life brought into this world. And we see life as a gift, as a blessing from the hand of the Almighty. But the book of Ecclesiastes also reminds us that there's not only the experience of new life and birth, but there's also a time in which we will die. And he confronts us with it over and over and over again. And it bursts the bubble for those who live in a dream world, in a world that is out of touch and disconnected with the reality of life under the sun. Those who see themselves as invincible here, which often tends to be young people, right? And, and Solomon specifically addresses young people later on in the book. He wants to give the wise reader a wisdom perspective, seeing the bigger picture so that the reader can live well now and recognize the season that we're in now and, and adapt to it and receive it and embrace the season that we're in now. There's a time to be born and a time to die. There's a time to plant and a time to pluck up what is planted. Some of y'all are thinking about your yards right now. It's time to pull some weeds up. It's time uh, to, or to, to plant some stuff, right? We've, we've all experienced that. Uh, Solomon experienced a time of planting. We looked at in the last chapter. He planted trees and gardens. And he did all these, these magnificent works that he found no ultimate satisfaction in. He says there's a time to plant, a time to pluck up. There's a time to kill and a time to heal. Now let me just say this. What Solomon is, is writing here is not prescriptive. It's descriptive. Okay, He's describing what happens in life. Whether it's right or wrong, it happens in life. Now, some of us have had to experience the painful experience of bringing a pet to the veterinarian because of the health of that pet. And that pet had to be laid down. So there is a time to kill. There, there is a time to heal. There is a time to break down. There is a time to build up. One of the things that Solomon's doing throughout this book is he is breaking down these philosophies and these mindsets that are disconnected with the biblical worldview. And before he builds up, he breaks down with purpose. When you have a building or a structure that is faulty, that is rotten, that won't stand, that can't be um, revitalized, can't be renewed. You've got to tear it down in order to build up. You know, Jesus did this, by the way. He tore down mentalities and mindsets, wrong ideas about God and religion that many of the Pharisees had in their day and many of the Jews had bought into in their day. Jesus tore down the works of the devil. Jesus is the ultimate Example of somebody who lived well within the time. I'm getting ahead of myself here. There's a time to weep and a time to laugh. And if you laugh in the presence of those who are weeping and you're insensitive, you miss the opportunity to, to sympathize and empathize with them. 
And you probably, you can cause deeper hurt. Or like if, if we're like Job's friends, and we have a brother or sister who's suffering, and we like Job's friends come in and we think we know what's going on and what's behind the suffering that a brother or sister is going through, and so we speak up from our ignorance and foolishness, we can deepen the pain rather than sitting in the pain with our brother and sister and weeping with them. Or rejoicing with them and laughing with them in something good that has come into their life from the Almighty. So there's a time to mourn. There's a time to dance. Have any of you guys seen the, uh, the, the Chosen film that's come out recently about the life of Jesus? One of the things that really my wife and I and family have just loved that. We're, we're looking forward to season two. And, you know, when, when somebody does a film about your Lord and Savior, it's kind of a sensitive thing. Like, you don't want them to get it wrong. Like, even one little thing, like one little thing off about how Jesus relates and acts or, or what he says or does can totally make you just want to disregard the entire film. And thankfully, I, so far, I think they've done a good job with portraying the Jesus of the Bible who is full of grace and truth. But one of the things me and my family have enjoyed about the, the, the display of who Jesus is in this film is the joy that he walks in. The joy that he walks in in the chosen film. That's free, by the way. Uh, and, and, and how he embraces the time. How, how he meets folks where they're at. And, and how sometimes he's lighthearted and laughs and, and, and participates in laughing. Some of us have this image of Jesus who's always frowning and never laughing and never rejoicing. Though Jesus was a man of sorrows, and He bore the pain of our sin and the weight of our sin when He went to the cross for us, Jesus lived in joy, in the joy of the Lord. We see Jesus in the Gospels rejoicing and weeping. When He was at Lazarus' grave and there was time of mourning, Jesus wept. And we see Jesus rejoicing and, and spinning for joy after his disciples came back from a, from a mission trip and, and God was working through them and they were casting out demons. And he redirected their joy and, and, and saying, rejoice that your names are written in heaven, not because the demons are subject to you. And so there's a time for all of these things in our lives. And one of the things that you and I have to do is we have to discern what time is it for us. Wisdom helps us to respond appropriately to the time and the season that we're in. There's a time to cast away stones. There's a time to gather stones. There's a time to embrace and a time to refrain from embracing. That, now, that verse just has, has a lot more relevance within the last six months than it's ever had in my life. We have just, we have been walking through a season of social distance. A season where we've been told this is a time to refrain from embracing. Social distance, six feet away, right? Uh, and it's been so hard. It's been so challenging, okay? And wisdom, wisdom teaches us to recognize what time it is and how to respond. And at some point, you and I are going to have to go back to a life of embracing one another, embracing community and those around us and, and, and take some risk and let down the, the boundaries, so to speak. But, but it requires wisdom for us now. Even within this last six months, we've all had those moments 
where we're like, we have a family member or we have a friend or somebody's hurting and we're like, you know, I know we're supposed to social distance right now and separate right now, but I'm just going to, I got to give this person a hug, you know. Have you had those moments? I know I've had those moments. I was at a funeral yesterday, officiating a funeral yesterday where I had one of those moments and it's so hard to be put at that position where, 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 where there's this social distance and and, and, and there's a moment of embracing an opportunity where it seems most fitting to do so. You know, Jesus did this when, when he embraced tax collectors and sinners who had come to him, when he touched unclean people and he healed them. You see, Jesus was always in touch with the Father's timing. He was always in tune with what the Father had for him. So there's a time to... Embrace in a time to refrain from embracing. Those of you who've walked through a time of engagement know that you, you, you had to uh, discern that time. You've been dating or engaged, and that's, that can be so tough, especially the longer the engagement and dating relationship you have, to, to, uh, to refrain from, from all those embracings and, and hugs and kisses and all the, you know, what, whatever that leads, you know what that leads to. But there's a time for that. There's a time to let down the guard. When you get married, when a, when a husband and a wife get married, to fully embrace one another and know and be known by one another and enjoy the gift of one another. There's a time to seek and, and there's a time to lose. To just accept loss. You know, it happens to all of us. And some of our greatest frustrations in life have to do with us not recognizing the season that we're in and not accepting the season that we're in. So we get so frustrated by what time does to us, by, be, by being limited, having these limitations and confinements of dwelling within this space and time. There's a lot of movies and songs that talk about time. In my generation, it was Back to the Future. How many of y'all remember Back to the Future? One, two, three, right? And, and, and so we're, we're, we're intrigued and we're fascinated by the idea of time travel. If, if, if only we can, can get control of this thing called time in which we live and manipulate it to what we want it to be like. Maybe then we'll be happy. I read an article even this week that talked about a student who, um, who, who thought he proved that time travel is possible. It was an interesting article. And there, within the article, there were, there were some, some, frustra- or some challenges to if it was possible. If you were to go back, if you had the ability to go back and, and, and stop the coronavirus, you know, eight, nine, ten months ago and stop it from happening, Right? Then, then you would, you would all of a sudden ch- uh, change the... There would be no need to go back in time to change that. You know? It's a profound thought. Like so, so, and then you would, you would mess everything up. You would mess the world up. And that's typically what happens in a lot of these stories and movies when we try to go back in time and try to fix it the way we think it should be. If you're an older generation, baby boomers... The movie It's a Wonderful Life may come to your mind when you think about time and, and, and this, this idea of being present in your past or present in your future. George Bailey is this man who's discontent with his life and he's, and he's shown kind of what really matters in life through some painful experiences of 
dabbing into the future or the, the past. One of the newer ones, the newer movies I'm told about uh, is Interstellar. I haven't seen it. Uh, I don't know much about it. I, we got one person that likes the movie. It has to do with this, this idea of manipulating time and, and going in and out of time. You know, we can't do that, but our God is sovereign over our time. And He's not confined by time and space like we are. And thankfully, our God invades our time and meets us right where we're at in the good times and the bad times. And He makes something beautiful out of each of them for us. There's a time to love and a time to hate. There's a time to be silent, a time to speak, a time for war, and a time for peace. I got five points here. One is that, the first one is that life involves various times and seasons. One theologian said this. He said, man is to take his life day by day from the hand of God, realizing that God has a fitting time for each time to be done. The significance of this section is that man is responsible to discern the right times for the right actions. And when he does the right action, according to God's time, the result will be beautiful. The other thing I want to highlight here is that life, though it involves various times and seasons that we can't control, and we must come to recognize and accept and embrace and not try to be like that, that, that man-child who's still living in the glory days, living in the past. Um, or or that, that, that impatient youth who's just waiting for that next thing, the driver's license or, or the graduation or, or the spouse, the, the boyfriend or girlfriend or that job or whatever. The book of Ecclesiastes teaches us to embrace the now and enjoy life as a good gift from the hand of God. To recognize what time you and I are in. What season God has us in. And embrace it. Enjoy it. Steward it well. Because our life is so brief. Verse 12 and 13 says, I perceived, and, and this is, throughout the book, Solomon has these summary statements that commend enjoyment of life. He's not just a, a, a negative a naysayer here in, throughout the book. He does have some positive condom, com, commendation of enjoying the good gifts of God that he's given us. Life is a good gift to be enjoyed and stewarded. He says, I perceive that there is nothing better for them than to be joyful and do good as long as they live. So that everyone should eat and drink and take pleasure in his toil. This is God's gift to man. Life is a gift. And there are, there are multifaceted graces and gifts within the gift of life that God gives us. Like spouses and children and a job and taste buds. We get to enjoy good food and nice Juicy steak or salmon over some rice with some broccoli casserole, ice cream, soda, some good coffee, tea. There are many good gifts in life 
that God wants us to embrace and enjoy. Some people think that they're super spiritual by neglecting and rejecting all those good gifts that God gives us in creation. And they treat the physical creation as something that's bad. Though we live in a post-Genesis 3 world where this creation has been corrupted and there is brokenness and fallenness in this creation, the goodness of God's creation hasn't quit. God's goodness is still seen throughout creation in the created things. And when we enjoy a good meal with our family or when we work hard and find some satisfaction in the work that we do and productivity in the work that we do, this is a gift from God. God gives us the ability to do that. But what Solomon does throughout this book is he brings the reader to many dead-end roads that humanity tries to find ultimate significance and satisfaction in. And he brings them to the dead-end roads for them to see that when you're trying to journey in this life apart from your Creator, it leads nowhere. But when you're journeying, journeying with Him, when God is the centerpiece of your life, when, when you recognize He's the one who's in charge of your seasons, that, that your times are in His hands, that He put you here for His purpose, for His glory, and, and, and you enjoy the gifts of life with Him, as John Piper said, God is most glorified in us when we are most satisfied in Him. God's glory and our joy and enjoyment of Him and the gifts that He gives are not at odds with one another. God actually gets most glory when we receive from His hand the gifts that He gives us as grace. And many of us as human beings struggle to receive good gifts. Many of us struggle feeling unworthy or undeserving or we feel like we've got to work for it, we've got to earn it. And it dishonors God when we choose not to receive the grace of life and all the graces that He wants to give us in this life. It dishonors Him. And we, and we try to work for it and earn this acceptance or this significance or this satisfaction that we can only find in a relationship with Him by grace. So life is, is a good gift to be enjoyed and stewarded. stewarded. Notice He says be, it's, if there's nothing better for them to be joyful and do good. Now, Solomon doesn't just result to pagan hedonism. Just go live it up and enjoy it with no regard to your fellow man. He says he commends and be joyful, enjoy life, but do good in life. Steward what you have by doing good to those around you. And the New Testament commends this as well. I think one of the problems is, is when we try to steward it by the doing of good, by, by, but, but rejecting the good that God wants to give us as a gift. We get caught up in legalism and dead religion rather than receiving the greatest gift that God's given us through His Son. John, John Wesley said, do all the good that you can. Let me, let me pull that up. Do all the good that you can, by all the means that you can, in all the ways that you can, in all the places you can, at all the times you can, to all the people you can, as long as you ever can. So do good. 
do good. Jesus said, let your light shine before men that they may see your good works and glorify your Father in heaven. So life is a good gift to be enjoyed and stewarded. And God is at work in the world and in your life. Okay, notice these verses here. Verse 9 and 10, Solomon goes back to this over this question over and over again. He explores the, 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 the toil of mankind. And he asks the question, what gain has the worker from his toil? This is a good question for us to ask. Especially for those who are very ambitious in life and were driven to succeed and achieve in life and be something in life and accomplish something in life. What gain is the worker has the worker from his toil? I have seen the business that God has given to the children of men to be busy with. And he goes down a little bit further and he says in 14, he says, I perceive whatever God does endures forever. Nothing can be added to it nor anything taken away from it. God has done it so that people fear before him. Okay, notice here in, in, in several other places, Solomon comes back to, he circles back to over and over again, fear the Lord, reverence God, live your life in all of God, let Him be the center, live your life with, with, with regard to Him, let Him invade the space of your time and season and meet you where you're at, whether you're in weeping or whether you're in laughter, sorrow or dancing. He said, I perceive whatever God does endures forever. Solomon comes back to the, 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 the greater work that God does in this world. He has the whole world in his hands. We don't. He governs it. We don't. And we struggle with that reality. We struggle that with, with that reality when we think about time and how we're limited by it. But God's not limited by it. We struggle when we think about our natural limitations. God's not limited by the natural laws in creation. Throughout the Bible, we see God doing miracles and invading human history, doing what we can't do because of the natural laws, doing supernatural things. Jesus did this. And He invaded human history and He displayed the glory of God within human history. And so Solomon's pointing to the greater significance of God's work as opposed to mere man's work. We can spend our lives wearing ourselves out, wasting and hurting relationships, working our fingers to the bone and have nothing to show for it when it's all said and done. And so we, we face this, this challenge. How, does, our, does our work matter? Does our life matter? And, and, and am I doing what really matters in regard, in light of the end that's coming? So I want to encourage you, church, to seek to find the interaction of where God's work and your work meet. Find the intersection where God's work and your work meets. You see, God created mankind to do something. And this was before the fall. This was before sin entered the world and corruption entered the world. Eden, paradise, a place of perfection had some work to do. Okay? There was a place to inhabit. There was a people to enjoy it with. And there was a task to be done. That's Eden. 
Okay? And there was lots of goodness to enjoy without any fear or death or suffering or mourning or weeping. And so seek to find the, the intersection, the interaction between God's work and yours. And here's a couple ways I think we can do this. One, recognize God's work is most significant and lasting. What God does lasts. Okay? Recognize the brevity and the insignificance of what we try to make happen apart from our Creator. We build castles in the sand. And we can make them look real pretty. But it won't be long until those castles get taken away with the shore of time. Rely upon His work, God's work, as the most powerful and wise of actions. Recognize His work as most significant and lasting and rely upon His work as the most powerful and the most wise even when you don't understand what, is, what He's doing. When it's been said that when you can't see, when you can't trace God's hand in the history of your life, trust His heart. Trust His heart. Trust that an all-wise, all-loving, sovereign God knows what's best and has what's best for you. And He will work everything together for your good. He will make everything beautiful in its time. And so respond to His work by joining in with Him in the ways that He invites us that Scripture reveals for us to, to be invited into. Okay? What ways has God invited us in to participate with Him in doing good in the world? So let us find that place where our work and His work are find interaction. Another thing I want to point out in this is that God will evaluate how we have lived our lives. There's coming a time of account, coming a judgment. Verse 16 and 17. Moreover, I saw under the sun that in the place of justice, even there was wickedness. And in the place of righteousness, even there was wickedness. This grieves us when we see this. It perplexes us. We see crookedness in this world. And I said in my heart, here's what Solomon says, I said in my heart, God will judge the righteous and the wicked. For there is a time and a matter for every, a time for every matter and for every work. This should help us have perspective when we are distraught and disturbed and grieved by injustice in the world. It should help us to, to know that God will bring justice. God is the just judge, and every person will give an account for their lives before him. This is where Solomon takes us at the very end of the chapter. He said, let us hear the conclusion. Fear God and keep his commandments, for, for God will bring every work into judgment, including every secret thing. Whether good or evil, God sees it, God knows it. And so our lives matter. How we live here in this life matters. Lastly, God, uh, life is a test. Verse 18. I said in my heart with regard to the children of man that God is testing them that they may see that they themselves are but beasts. For what happens to the children of man and to what happens to beasts is the same. As one dies, so dies the other. They all have the same breath and man has no advantage over the beast for all is vanity. 
and all go to one place. All are from dust and to dust all return. Who knows whether the spirit of man goes upward and the spirit of the beast goes down into the earth. This is an interesting uh, section here, but Solomon highlights the reality that God tests people. And all of our life is one great test. And throughout life there are various tests that God brings us through. How are you and I going to respond in those tests? For me, it's been very helpful to come to the realization that this global pandemic that we've been walking through is a test. And how I respond in the test matters. Life is a trust to be stewarded. Life is a temporary assignment. We're going to die. The life, the life that we have here now under the sun is going to end. It's brief. It's, it's fleeting. And life is a test. Life is a test. Solomon hints and implies that there is a hereafter when he says God has placed eternity within our hearts. Or there's a judgment. We're going to stand before God in judgment. You see, each one of us have this wiring inside of us, this, this uh, sense that there's more to life than just this. There's got to be more. Okay? And Solomon doesn't expound on all those details that he's not aware of, but he just simply says, who knows what it looks like. And, and we have the New Testament where Jesus tells us, Jesus who stepped in from eternity into time, and he tells us what it's like after we leave this life. He tells us what to expect. And this book and, and the entire Bible helps us prepare to live, helps us to live well now, but also to prepare for eternity that we will experience. And so life is a, is a test. Life is temporary assignment. Life is a trust. Life is a gift from God. The way that we see life affects how we operate in life. If you see life as a playground, then you're going to value just having lots of fun. If you see life as a battleground, then you're going to have the mindset of a fighter. If you see life as a race, you're going you're to value speed and competition and, and beating other people. If you see life as a marathon, you're going to value endurance and perseverance. If you see life as a gift, you're going to receive it, embrace it from the hand of God. If you see life as a test, then you're going to aim to respond most appropriately as you're going through it. Saints, I want to encourage you to not let the pain or regret of your past, nor the fear and worry of the future... To rob you from the gift of God today that you have. Don't let the pain and regret of the past or the, the, the worry and fear of the future rob you from enjoying the gift of God today. You have now. You have those around you. You have many gifts in life to, to rejoice. And I, I officiated a funeral yesterday of a man who was 57 years old. He lived on this earth 21,045 days. And every one of those days that he lived was a gift from God. 
and the family and friends who got to be with him and enjoy the good things in life during those days, were that was a gift from God. And so recognize that. Recognize the gift of God and enjoy what God has given you today. Learn, learn to be content in the season that you're in and make the most of the time that you've been given. Moses in Psalm 90 verse 12 says, Teach us to number our days that we may gain a heart of wisdom. You see, your days and my days are numbered. Your days and my days are numbered. And we would do well to accept that, to reflect on that, and to live to make the most of the time that we have here now. Seize the day. I think the Latin phrase there is carpe diem. Seize the day. Seize the time. Redeem the time. Not because this is all we have, but because this is what we have. There's more. There's rewards. There's eternity. There's resurrection. I love it. The, the, the scripture in 1 Chronicles 12.32 where it speaks about the sons of Issachar, how they were men who had understanding of the times to know what Israel ought to do. That's what we need, saints. We need to have understanding of the times. The times that we're in personally and understanding of the times that we're in historically and, and nationally right now. Right now there's a lot of Christians gathered in Washington crying out to God in prayer and repentance that God would intervene in this time and space. That God would show up. Because there's a lot of dark things that we're facing right now. And so we would be wise to discern the times and respond appropriately. I love the, the serenity prayer. And anybody who's walked through recovery or worked with those going through recovery may be familiar with this prayer. But, but this captures some of the wisdom that I think Solomon is trying to impart to the reader. The prayer goes like this. God, grant me the serenity to accept the things that I cannot change. Okay? I'm not in control. Give me the courage to change the things that I can. I have a responsibility to do something. Give me the courage to change the things I can and the wisdom to know the difference. That's what we need. And Solomon wants to help us with that. He wants to help us gain that. And Jesus embodied that wisdom. You see, you and I have all failed to live the life that we should have lived. You and I have missed the mark. We've sinned. We've failed to be sensitive and not speak when we should have hushed up. We failed to speak up when we should have spoken up. We failed to heal when we should have healed. Or build up when we should have built up. Or tear down when we should tear down. And Jesus, who was born in the, at the fullness of time, at the right time, He knew in the morn. He mourned with mourners. He knew when to keep silent and hold His, hold his tongue. He knew when to speak up and to confront sin and sinners. He knew when to build. He knew when to tear down and destroy the works of the devil and cast out demons and confront lies and fears and misconceptions about God. Jesus, throughout the Gospel of John, He speaks about His time and His hour. And He didn't let even His close relatives 
push him to getting out of step with the Father's timing in his life. Hey, now it's time for you to show yourself, Jesus. John 7, his brothers. Okay, you know, they're, they're trying to push me. Mom, uh, John 2, you know, hey, do this miracle. And he's like, woman, you know, come on now. Uh, he does it. He does it. It was time to manifest the glory of God. He speaks up at the feast in John 7 and says, If anyone's thirsty, let him come to me. He knew before he went to the cross that his hour was approaching and began to feel troubled and burdened that he was about to bear the sins of the world on his body. And his hour had come. And he recognized it. And at the right time, Christ died for you and I, sinners. And displayed His love for us. Because He loves us. And He cares about us. He cares about where we're at and what we're going through. And Jesus lived the life that we should have lived and couldn't live. And we get His righteousness attributed to our account when we simply put our faith in Him. And His life teaches us how to discern the times and respond appropriately. Jesus is greater than Solomon. Jesus is the king who shows up, who knew when to resist indulging in certain pleasures. Jesus is the king who shows up, who embodies perfect wisdom. In him are all the riches of wisdom and knowledge. There was a time when Jesus not only died, but there was a time when Jesus was resurrected from the dead and walked this earth. And he was seen by over 500 eyewitnesses. There is a point in time when Jesus will return to judge the living and the dead. And so let us be wise and discern the times that we are in. Trust that God is in charge of the times and seasons of your life. That speaks of sovereignty. The sovereignty of God in human history. God is in charge. The plans of the Lord stand firm throughout all generations. Psalm 33 tells us. There's a song I was reminded of this week, All Is Well. I think it was written by John or Robin Mark. Um, he sings it and it, it says in, in that it says, Though our seasons change, we still exalt your name. All our changes come from you, come from Him, from He who never changes. I'm held firm within His hand, the rock of all the ages. All is well with my soul. He is God in control. I know not all His plans, but I know I'm in His hands. Our times are in His hands, saints. And so we can trust in His sovereignty and we can enjoy His goodness. Enjoy and steward the good gifts that God gives us here and now. Instead of fretting about tomorrow or wallowing in regret and pain of the past. Enjoy the goodness of God now. And fear God. Fear God by living with the awareness that He sees all and He will hold everyone accountable for their actions. God will bring justice on the earth. Yeah, injustice should bother us. 
We should be grieved by injustice. But God is a God of justice and he will bring justice on the earth. Amen? And so let us let us pray. I need to discern the time to, to finish my sermon. And I'm long overdue. <clears throat> Thank you, Raymond. Father, help us to see what you're up to in this world. Help us to be wise and not foolish, to hold our tongue when we need to hold our tongue, to speak up when we need to speak up. Help us, God, to to lay down our desire to control and manipulate and be in the spotlight and control our world and let you get in the center. We invite you to invade our space and time that you've given us as a gift. And we ask that you would teach us to make the most of it. Teach us, God, when it's time to move on to the next season that you're bringing us into. Teach us to relate to others who are going through, who are in different seasons of mourning and weeping, struggle, pain, discouragement. And teach us to rejoice with those who are rejoicing in their times of abundance and excitement and, and hope and new things happening. May we be a people, God, who discern the times, and know how to respond and respond appropriately. And we make the most of it. For the glory of your name and for the good of others. In Christ's name we pray. Amen. The Lord bless you and the Lord keep you. The Lord make his face shine upon you. The Lord be gracious to you and lift up the light of his countenance upon you. And may he give you his peace. If anybody would like prayer or would like to talk after uh, the service, I'd love to pray with or talk to anybody that needs, um, needs prayer. Also, holler at um, the Kirshners if you're interested in sponsoring a child. Enjoy your Sunday.